uh, for the last boys episode, uh, let's let's finally do the the Sargasso episode. We can get some of that sweet, sweet trank. Yeah, I mean, we get to touch on Pirate Captain a little bit. Um, we know how, how important... Honestly, he is one of my least favorite characters. What? He is one of my least favorite... No, no, I, I heard you the first time. <laughs> yeah, allow, allow me to say it again. He is one of my least favorite characters. But before what? I get into why I don't like him... No, no, we're getting into it now. Yeah, before I get into why I don't like him, you make the case to me why the pirate captain is, in fact, one of the Venture Brothers' greatest characters. Uh, okay, first off, whoa, wait, let's, let's caveat. The fact that you're adding a caveat right now tells me everything I need to know about the words that are about to come out of your mouth. No, 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 no. It tells me everything I need to know about your presumptions. Because first off... That's mighty like, presumptuous of you. You can't put him in the same realm as certain characters because he's not that kind of. No, I put him in the same realm as a fleshed out Truculees. No, nah, I mean, he becomes more important than that later. He becomes a, a fixture later on. But Dude, what I love about Pirate Captain is like, he is one of the few characters that has genuine change. Uh, and life. he also has less character development than Helper. What do you mean less character development than Helper? Dude was stuck in a boat for like, like on a boat for 10 years. All right, gets off this boat, takes advantage of his like maritime career, turns himself around, all right? Like works on like for, for the chairman on Spider Skull Island there, right? And then he essentially becomes like the proxy for Tim Cook or Steve Jobs or who the hell ever. Dude, I thought that was hilarious. Making him, making him the assistant, right? Like I'm, I'm Tim Cook's like pepper pots. Like that, that <laughs> was a clever use of that character. Here's the problem. The character itself is not, it was really obvious that they took him and added him because they were like, wouldn't it be really funny if we put Pirate Captain here? Oh, give him a turtleneck, right? Like his, his oh, no, I do understand. straight from rubber mask to turtleneck. Yeah, and yeah. no, 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 that's not it at all. Like having him pop up on the boat, like, oh yeah, no, I mean, you know, he found me sleeping here on the, the X2 and blah, 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 and like the whole thing. Like it's a great backstory. And then like the turnaround. So I guess it's my more my ship than your ship now. You know, like, and then like that immediately gives you the relationship and why he ends up in the turtleneck. I'm not saying he's like the greatest character on the show, but in terms of like side character, there's a lot to love there. He's like Ranjit on How I Met Your Mother. So, how we rate our side characters? I just watched Primal. Have you seen Primal? No. The Gindy Tartakovsky? Yes. There are only, what, eight episodes um, in the first season? There is no dialogue. 22 minutes of no dialogue. Okay, outside of the two main characters, who is the side character that, like, pops up occasionally? Yeah. When it comes to that show, the only side characters are the bad guys you are fighting. They just introduced one side character at the very end, or at the very end of the season, right? 
The other side characters are his wife and kids who were slaughtered by a T-Rex and the and Fang's kids. Right? You know, those are the only side characters who've shown up. I've seen more development out of Fang's or Spears' relationship with his dead son who was gobbled by a Tyrannosaurus in the three minutes of screen time that he's had than we saw out of the pirate captain's relationship with the rest of the Venture Brothers. There was more genuine emotive presence in that than there was in the pirate captain. Now, I'm not saying that the Venture Brothers does not do this well. They've done it well in so many other instances. My point is that the pirate captain is literally a sticker. He's like a color form pasted into the episodes whose only purpose is to be the not main character. Yeah, Kramer. Which is, which is not, dude, he's not even Kramer. Like, he's totally Kramer when he's no, in his team. No, he's, totally. not even, he's not even Elaine. Oh. See, okay, this is, and, and I wish I knew more about Battlestar Galactic. Do you know who he is? Do you know who he is? Uh, who's the guy from uh, the Big Bang Theory with the 70s bowl cut? Howard? He's Howard's assistant. No. He is the office's Kevin. How many comedy sleeper agent that just like (laughs) will out of nowhere pop up and give you gold? Uh, Uh, He's more of a creed if we're going to go office, I feel like. He's definitely creed. Yeah. (laughs) So, Ron Creed, but I, 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 yeah. I, uh, I feel like we are actually onto something really useful here. Specifically, what analogs can we find for the pirate captain in other properties and is the pirate captain being done as well better or worse as these other characters so for instance name three things that the pirate captain is known for saying for saying like yeah it's gonna have catchphrases yeah yeah. well again it's not necessarily catchphrases it's just memorable lines. Yo, baby, you ever had your asshole licked by a fat man in an overcoat? That's a memorable line, right? Yeah, you quote me all the time. I get it. <laughs> so, no, uh, okay. Uh, other than give me that sweet, sweet trank. Jesus Jones. Now there's a point. Okay. Uh, and uh, I would have to say, I'm not your monkey chairman. I, I, that is, dude, that is such a reach. I feel like I'm in a Turkish bathhouse. So let me, let, let me back up really quickly. Now, I actually never watched The Office. So I'm going to have to ask you guys, since you feel like Kevin is a good analog, then what are some things that you can remember Kevin delivered? And if it's more than what you've just given me from the pirate captain, then I don't know that the pirate captain is a good analog for, I don't know that Kevin's a good analog for the pirate captain. We need to find another character. Okay, first off, the only thing I can remember off the top of my head about Kevin is the amazing cold open with chili. Two, Kevin is pretty much the, 
like okay. almost that exact same cardboard cutout character you're talking about. He's got that one Literally, note. like, he... Yeah. Oh, shit, we need somebody to throw in this line. Yeah, well, the thing is, and Kevin is one note. Kevin is, is that one note character again. Nothing about his okay. personality changes, but his life around it changes, and that's fine. And that's why I like Pirate Captain, is again, he, he's, he's still the Pirate Captain you know and love, but... Yeah, you know, now he's a tech giant and he's worrying about budgets and R&D departments. Like, this is a far cry from, like, you know, using, uh, what was it, like, uh, the, the fake hand tattoos and the unicorn walkie-talkies <laughs> and, and eating You know what I do? You know what I do owe the pirate captain <laughs> for? Making me look up sarcasm. Oh, oh no, 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 I, I'm sorry. And in terms of, like, great moments, don't act like pirate captain... <laughs> Singing uh, crash test dummies. Perhaps I'm not doing the pirate captain justice. But to be fair, neither did he. <laughs> Go team venture! Gary, nobody cares about the Venture Brothers. People care. Well, just be quiet. All right, fine. People really need to know this stuff. Welcome out to Conjectural Technologies, ladies and gentlemen. My name is the inimitable Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companion, the Baron Beast Lamode. And we are joined by our resident denizen of Dinner Theater, a man about whom much has been written, much has been said, and much has been talked. The Vaude villain. Beast? So I've actually Vaude. heard that uh, on some occasions, uh, Vaude villain actually has to have a stunt double uh, <laughs> to make his <laughs> look bigger. <laughs> He's got small <laughs> smells like cabbage. I actually wear, I wear an extra large glove. Thank you very much. Um. <laughs> so today we are in our second episode of our Venture Brothers block, and specifically the Venture Brothers, not Hank, not Dean individually, but Hank and Dean together as brothers. And today we are covering one of my personal favorite episodes, originally airing on August 13th, 2006, and featuring Shiny Soulbot as helper. It is the episode Victor Echo November. Now, before we launch into this, we had a truly remarkable recording last week where we introduced the brothers through the incredible Mr. Brisby. And we looked at the dynamic of, of them as brothers and their relationships with some of the people around them. And really, we're spending this block focusing on what it is that makes their dynamic so unique. And we are really... You know, we touched on it briefly last time, but 
one of the things I feel like we really need to make sure that we are highlighting is the character growth of the Venture Brothers is only possible when we start off with the Venture Brothers like this. And their identities are wholly codependent on each other because they are in reality, other than Brock and Helper, the only friends each other has ever had. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Here's a question. Uh, and uh, I guess earmuffs for, for people who uh, have not gone this far, like this is your, your spoiler alert. Do you think that maybe there was only one of them and they essentially just did genetic variants and then cloned them at the same time, bada bing, bada boom. Now you have two Venture Brothers. All right. What if we take that same idea and say, what if there's only one actual Venture Brother and the other one is just a clone of Rusty again? Ooh, that's why he's really attached to Dean. <laughs> all right i think it just broke the podcast <laughs> well i think at this point we we need to get like a literal therapist or psychologist to, to come here and break that down <laughs> well and all credit where credit is due to doc hammer uh for his excellent writing and jackson public for his like his his contributions here because what we are really looking at is just how dynamic they are as a production team that they have created characters about whom so much can be said. We started this podcast off with a deep dive into the psychosis of Rusty Venture. Like there are name other cartoons where that's possible that aren't like I, I don't know, art pieces? <laughs> I mean, technically, H.R. Puffin stuff is not a cartoon. What? <laughs> yeah, man, I, I heard he borrowed Little Jackie paper. It didn't work out well. So what we're looking at is the episode Victor Echo November, which features Hank and Dean going out on a date. So before we launch into this episode, Beast, uh, you and I had a discussion last week about uh, which episode we preferred. As far as I'm concerned, I feel like Victor Echo November is one of the like penultimate statements of the Venture Brothers. It is everything that I love about the show in one tightly packed, well-scripted, and enormously well voice acted episode. Well, and here's the thing. Right. Uh, I know uh, Vod definitely like is on your side of the fence on that one. And so doing the research, uh, like right before we get started, put in the DVD, throw on the, uh, you know, the commentary. Uh, apparently this is also Doc and Jackson's favorite of season two, like, you know, specifically like, you know, and this is known to be a huge fan favorite. Like, and I don't think you're wrong. My fetish with the show again is more about like sexual in nature, <laughs> panda milk. Uh, <laughs> no, um, just certain weird plot aspects. I love the idea of deranged Disney. Now, you're right though, like in terms of getting a 
an amuse bouche of the whole show. This is a great episode. Oh, nice. Ooh, snap. That is the word of the episode. Well done, sir. Yes. I've been watching a lot of Top Chef. <laughs> I just, I am so thrilled. Like the fact that you just dropped a moose bouche, just like that does my heart so well. And do you have any idea? All 30 of our listeners probably know this, but like the couple who don't are immediately going to like swing over and be like, no, 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 no. I got to get this. This is going to be added to your lexicon. Yeah. Shazam. All right, continue. But no, I mean, yeah, you, you get the, the hijinks. Uh, when I say hijinks, I mean layers of hijinks. Uh, I mean, yeah, and that's the whole point. That's what Venture Brothers does well. You get boys hijinks. You get guild hijinks. You get Brock and Doc hijinks. And Brock and Doc hijinks uh, are just, in this particular episode, uh, amazing. I mean, they're, they're just delicious in, in a sense. Um, and, and based in blood, uh, blood pudding. There we go. Like that's an English thing, right? Bod? Like, <laughs> um, and also this is probably one of the, the most well-known, uh, Brock's. I mean, like we get it. There's not like alternate Brock to this other, but we do talk about alternate, you know, the, the individual versions of a character. Yeah. Naked, censored, blood covered, knife wielding Brock Samson. This is the only episode he's appeared in. Don't forget a scene, Brock Samson. Oh, <laughs> I, think may, I think this may be the only time Brock Samson sings ever in the entire show. Well, it's amazing. And for a dude who's all about some jock rock, he really like he knows the lyrics to some like '90s house music, like '90s house pop. Did you forget that Technotronic was featured on Jock Jams? Fair enough. Well, no, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not jock rock. It's it's about love and longing. And sure, it's also about hobbits. And a lemon. (laughs) And some citrus. So, now, uh, Vaughn, can you make the case as to why Beast is so terribly wrong? Wait, you have to be specific. The wrong, like, part that I agreed with you on, or the the part that I'm disagreeing with you on. Like, I actually, I. I, I <laughs> okay, well, no, 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 the part that he's the most wrong on is the fact that he likes an episode that we we clearly had a better unaired, unseen episode. I want to see that original. Uh, the, the the apparently really going after Disney's racist roots version. I want to see that cut of the whole episode that they never really did. Uh, <laughs> oh, I feel like you like this like lightweight. You like the weed. Oh, that is I, harsh. I'm for the Snyder that is cut. so harsh. <laughs> oh, oh god, dude. I oh, somebody call Brian Adams. Like we're, we're gonna need some healing. Call, Mike, call Michael Bolton. Both of them. We're gonna need some healing. Wow. <laughs> Like, I had a whole thing I was going to say, but uh, completely derailed. I don't even know if it's going to come back now. Because now, like, I'm already thinking about how much I have to pretend to hate the Snyder Cut if it's good. Oh, no, okay. I remember. So, watch the Snyder Cut if you'll watch fucking Hamilton. (laughs) 
same time commitment. I will play chicken on that one because he will just want to end up watching Snyder Cut eventually, and I'll just never get to Hamilton. (laughs) There's things I want to watch I haven't gotten around to. It took me like nine. You know what I'm doing to to prep uh, for it? Watchmen when that came around. I just sat through uh, Highlander uh, Endgame. Yeah, I'm going through some terrible effing movies to make it through the Snyder Cut. <laughs> so, have you have you done the terrible room yet? and long? <laughs> uh, the one with Brie Larson? No, the other the room. <laughs> oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> the one with um, oh fuck, what's his name? Yeah. The guy James Franco made a movie about because this other movie was so awful. Other people could make movies about how awful this other movie was. Oh, kind of like Ed Wood. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But, like, just, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, concerning the whole (laughs) approaching, like, the Disney, like, racist root stuff. So, I'll be honest with you, they might have been steered away out of fear because like i keep telling people i'm working on this project right and i'm like yeah oh wrong tommy wiseau tommy wiseau that's not gonna yeah but like i'll tell people it's like yeah i'm working on this project and like you know there the you bad go. guys based on l ron hubbard they're like you're gonna die <laughs> i'm like okay first off i know they kill people like they make people disappear what the fuck ever i will cop to that but here's the mo you have to have already been in the church. Technically, I don't fucking exist to them. So how would they even know that my janky little whatever project featured like a bad... Like, Venture Brothers did L. Ron Hubbard. Why didn't they do Walt Disney? Venture Brothers did Walt Disney. Why didn't they do L. Ron Hubbard? No, no, they, they did L. Ron Hubbard. They literally did L. Ron Hubbard, right? Like in the, the Jackie O bit, right? But they didn't oh, do yeah. like the full thrust on the going after Disney's racist yeah. roots. Oh, do you remember the Family Guy thing that they did? Where it's like Walt Disney, uh, I forget the throwaway joke, like I forget the, the setup for it, but it was like creepy Walt Disney drawing Minnie Mouse and like making her like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She doesn't want to take oh. off the, the skirt or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Well, really I guess going the full that. Harvey Weinstein on that. I. Yeah. Yeah. Feel like if you're getting yourself ready for the Snyder cut, that you save the room giving your support for right before it happens. Because after that, you are going to be thrilled at the actual thought that goes into a movie because actual thought is not what you're going to get from the room. You are about to have all of your suppositions about what a movie can be completely upended. That's a bold statement, sir. I interned on a film where the production motto was continuity is a fetish of the bourgeois. So I challenge you to like have me uh, like see something that makes less sense. 
you're in luck. It exists. You're, you're, <laughs> wow. Yeah. I just, I guarantee there was more of a through line in the movie that you were a production assistant on than what you are about to witness. Things, dude, it is, you know what it's like? It's like being invaded by Martians, emotional Martians all the time. Like things are happening. You don't understand them. Humans seem weird. Like, like, it, like when was the last time you looked at a human on film? I was like, I do not understand what is going on. I'm a David Lynch fan. I say that a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You may be missing out on one of the great cinema experiences of your whole life. Just like any of our listeners would be if they hadn't caught the episode Victor Echo November, which is exactly where we're going right now. Because we're in the bathroom at the Venture Compound. Dean is shaving his entire face. Or more precisely, he's shaving off his moles and his zits. Like... That was horrifying to watch. Like, yeah, I just, Beast, you just cringed. Yeah, there's a bunch like, of, and this is where yeah. we get, like, the best stuff of, of uh, as a brother, I can say this, the best stuff of being brothers. Like, uh, the, the whole milk thing with the Brisby. Like, <laughs> the milk, you're looking ahead milk, and like, oh, like, Savage is recoiling like in in his chair like yeah no it's awful to think about i I, I can see myself on the camera i'm red now (laughs) i don't know if you can see it but i'm clearly redder than i was 20 seconds ago well and we've already covered a a, a few great boys moments that also have that same flavor where dean is like i've got to put on lady windermere's fan and like, you know, Hank's in the bathroom, like, it's coming out like easy cheese, popping his like blackheads and zits and stuff. And like, oh. And and so I mean you get a little bit of that out of out of Dean here, right? Like clearly, uh one of the, the 14 times he died previously is probably by a razor, just looking at how he handles that thing. <laughs> like, here, buddy, here's a chainsaw, like shave with that. <laughs> So let me also mention that in the other room, so Dean is getting all dressed up. And in the other room, so is Hank. And you know what Hank's getting dressed up in? His best looking, like, okay, first off, they say, like, you know, dress as the person, you know, you want to be, as, you know, dress what you aspire to be. And he is dressing as his best self. Yes. Yes, he is. He is dressing as his best self. And, 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 Vaughn, and could you could you do me a pleasure? Because I know, I know deep down that you are a fan. That this is why you level with the Hankinator. What is his best self? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just want to point out that Vod just pointed the camera at his crotch. No stunt cock here. Um, No, his. (laughs) Um, It's the bat. It is simply the bat. Does he ever refer to himself as Batman? It's it's always just the bat. (laughs) He knows exactly which version of the bat is the best. And I know the costume 
you know, uh, that's one of the, the artifacts on the show. They, they did a, a specific like lineage on like, you know, they looked up, was it, cause I think we talked about it when the episode came up was like, it was the 1974, 76, uh, you know, Batman costume modeled on, the, the Adam West uh, with like, you know, the plastic jumper and the mask, um, you know, the, the mask Ooh, with the great. slit and for the mouth and you cut your tongue on it and it's, it's maddening. Um, yeah, no, I mean, in, uh, if you don't love. Ooh, well, I'm gonna that's say, actually another good boys episode. We're never going to probably cover that. Um, oh, Jim Carrey? Love, uh, love Bites. Jim Carrey? I don't <laughs> see that one working its way in. Huh? Uh, the, the episode. Oh. Or no, yeah. uh, Love Behest, Love Bites. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a classic The Bat episode. But I, I feel like we'll have to go back and do a specific Bat run and just hit his I greatest love. moments as the Bat possibly in a Hank block. That's a learning because uh, otherwise, I don't, that's an episode we could easily not get to. Uh, that, yeah, because I mean, like bit. you know, uh, I, I am also uh, like while I am a Marvel guy, died in the wool. Like my my first foray into to comics was was Batman in in 1989, uh, eating way too much of that cereal, uh, so I could get reprints of like the first four like you know Batman comics. Uh, from the 30s and 40s and stuff like it, it just and I know a ton about the character yeah the, the bat is a learning bed uh because I mean there's even L bat like way down the line like <laughs> <laughs> so as we are watching Dean in his nice suit brown disgusting 70s polyester leisure suit uh, with vest and tie. Oh, dude. Brown. With those, like, really creepy, uh, I call them Jeff Goldblum elbow patches. The, uh, the, uh, the tweed patch. Yeah. Like, tweed oh, Beast. Was this where you got Johan Musk from? I know, I, I name checked yeah. that on the bottle that he puts yeah. on himself, the, uh, the aftershave. And it's Johan Musk. <laughs> is that where you pulled no, the, the Papa uh, Musk from? When it was the end of season one, <laughs> uh, when uh, they're riding home uh, and like, you know, oh, we're going to have an uncle now. And yeah, he's probably going to give us like weird presents and Johan Musk gift, you know, gift. Uh, <laughs> so like, you know, yeah. yeah. So no, yeah, that's, okay. that's absolutely the Jovan Musk. Jovan uh, Musk. Father to Elon. Uh, perfumier. <laughs> he is truly a smellier. <laughs> That's a running joke we have uh, behind the scenes is uh, the, the, the Jovan Musk and Elon Musk and just talking like that relationship for, and it, it's the dumbest thing because none of it makes sense to, to Elon Musk. Like, so we, for, in our minds, it's like uh, interwar Europe, like somewhere in like the 19, like, 
1920s, like 1929. They're sitting in Croatia. I think Elon Musk is from South Africa. But anyway, we're in fucking Croatia. <laughs> and it's like, but no, Papa, that's not science. This is like, you know, I don't give a damn what you think about science, boy. You tell me how it smells. Like, father's like, you know, chemistry is the only science. It's like, you know, but Papa, one day rockets will take us to the moon. Nobody gives a damn about how the moon smells. <laughs> Cars will run on electricity. Like, nobody gives a damn. You can't smell lightning. And that gives rise to smell the lightning, the new Tesla. <laughs> but Papa... Oh. This amazing man, <laughs> Papa, this amazing man is doing great His things with electricity. His car like, leave an odor behind. <laughs> and that's like, if he, like, throws away, like, tears up the the, uh, the the magazine from America, or, like, you know, National Geographic circa, like, 1980, no, that doesn't make sense, 1890, throws it in the fire for kindling so he can boil up some lavender, and it's like, yeah, you like those flowers. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know what where i thought you were going with that was and that's when he tears up his birth certificate <laughs> it's like you're dead to me now he's not barack obama oh uh, um so dean of course is getting dressed oh. hank is in his best outfit as the bat uh dean is putting some like paper towel bits on his cut face and he puts on some Johan Musk on his junk and uh, we then bounce outside the bathroom where we hear him scream uh, Dr. Uh, he calls Dr. Venture who like I'm sorry so he comes out Dr. Venture comes in and he sees have you guys ever done that? He sees Hank. Put the, the wrong like, chemical Hank. on the junk? Uh, I don't really use things so no well okay so like no. uh this is i don't know if this is intentional no. but being a, a 90s kid like growing up with one of the greatest christmas movies of all time home alone, home alone. Yeah. yeah you get the the face scene where he puts on the, the aftershave for the first time and he just like your skin's not used to it and it's raw and it's like ah! and that's what i imagine happened only down below because he's already got like the the, the tissue on it dean's very pragmatic right um, but my question is, do you think the same hatchet job happened to his face? Like that happened to his face happened like, nope, because Dean does not manscape. Hank does. Left-handed safety scissors. But he does it with scissors and not like little ones. That he keeps <laughs> in a mason jar along with six crayons. <laughs> <laughs> so gotta throw off suspicion doc tells <laughs> hank to change dean tells on hank by the way doc tells hank to change and then he says dean smells like a whore and you need to change some real clothes or hank's getting left behind and brock says you know you're gonna get left behind and i'm gonna let dean drive the charger like there's no world in which that's gonna happen ever but the fact that Dean getting to do something with the car makes Hank immediately stop being the bat 
is everything you need to know about their relationship together. Because as brothers, any brother getting to do something cool that you want to do is the worst thing that has ever happened to you. Yes. Put on dress and clothes. If you can do anything to stop it, because... you will. <laughs> I'm a little sad we didn't get the next shot, though, or if they would have played it just a little, like gave it a little bit of a gap where they walk out and Dean's like, do I really get to drive it? No. Like... <laughs> just immediately shuts down that reality two steps outside the door now you can't go like i wasn't ever gonna let you but because of what you just did now i can't (laughs) well i think that's a that's the difference between co-parenting styles here is brock was like no that was never a thing you were an idiot for thinking this was a thing whereas doc was like you know capitalize and gaslight (laughs) yeah I think you just described America throughout the nineties. <laughs> Explains all the neon. So, yeah. Pepsi crystal. And, and the eighties. Yeah. So uh, then we bounce all the over medieval to... movies with rock soundtracks. What's that? All the medieval movies with rock and roll soundtracks. Does Bill and Ted's excellent adventure count? When doesn't it count? Yeah, it does it count as a medieval movie with a rock and roll soundtrack? Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> Lady Hawk. Yeah, well, that do. was late eighties, right? <laughs> but then, of course, there's Robin Hood with, with uh oh, what was the one? It was Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and Prince of Thieves. Robert, uh, uh, Rod Stewart, Brian Adams. Oh crap! Sting. Sting. That's who it was. And I have to look this up. <laughs> and I'm gonna say Charo. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> and the bat. <laughs> yep. Yep, it sting. It does sting. I almost got best. I just wanted to double check that my music skills were still on point. All right. So. No. The artist are we going to refer to him known as, as after he dies? Like tantric sex. Okay. I found a great meme today. I sent it to my wife. Like this is this is us. Uh, it's a bunch of commas in different like relationships to each other, and it's called the Kama Sutra. Ah. Uh, yeah, I, I I knew it was going to work. Sexual innuendo. Nice. A grammar like joke and a dad joke like this is like the 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 full thrust of foreplay in the savage household uh (laughs) if she would have responded with a special like breed of sun drop like they they would be making another clone right now (laughs) she she popped open that that watermelon pomelo sun drop yeah with pulp oh yeah this is hardcore. So we bounce over and Triana is with Dr. Orpheus. Triana is getting ready for something. Dr. Orpheus attempts to have the talk with her saying, I've attempted to stave off this awkward yet necessary conversation. She doesn't want it. She's like, dad, this is my duty. She giggles. What's so funny about my duty? You know, I take my duty quite seriously. Yeah, it's funny. So, 
Dr. Orpheus says, I share your nervousness, but there are certain duty facts duty. that a father must impart to his daughter on occasions such as this. <laughs> oh, yes, duty. Very clever, <laughs> right? Triana, still not having it. Dad, hear me out. When young women reach estrus, the uh, lingam <laughs> craves the stamen-like skills of the yoni. This is quite natural. All right, so uh, we're going to need a a uh, breakdown of a few of those words. Uh, I mean, I broke right. out a moose booth, but I think lingam might be. I've got, dude, I've got, I've got lingam. I've got lingam. I've got Yoni. Who can ask for anything more? Right? <laughs> so estrus, of course, uh, I, it is called many things depending on the animal they're referring to. Uh, in some animals, it's heat. In some uh, animals, it's childbearing age, right? So it's well, essentially specifically the, the, in relationship to Homo sapiens sapien. Yeah, it's when you get your period. It's when you are capable of being impregnated, getting pregnant. So this period thing dominant. doesn't exist in the Kama Sutra. No. I don't know. It might. It might. Maybe that's uh maybe that's where things get really weird. It's like, yo, you want to spice up your punctuation? Like you want to punctuate your sex life? Oh, I thought that, that fair, was where you uh, ended it. Dr. Mrs. The Savage is a teacher. She does know the value of red ink. I can't let her listen to this episode. Uh so the lingam is the word for the penis. Uh, it is a word that is used most frequently in a religious context for the Shiva lingam, right? So essentially that is the symbolic structural representation of Shiva. The and Shiva you worship And Shiva is, is the a, destroyer. So this is a destroyer. Shiva is like the, the coolest of all the gods in Hinduism, like just balling, literally and metaphorically. So what it looks like is almost like a saucer with an extended end. It's very vaginal in nature. In the center is one of the uh, uh, Shankara stones from Indiana Jones, right? Sitting inside. And it's got the three lines on it, right? The symbol of Shiva. And you worship it by pouring milk over it. Naturally. The yoni is Naturally. the uh, <laughs> word for vagina. And it is a far sexier word than the Latin word vagina, which literally means sheath. <laughs> so whenever you say the word vagina... That is a pure Latin word that is just not pulling its weight. No, I, dude, Yoni, that is not, much, yeah, no, no much, being done much there. better. The, uh, what was that, uh, like, Punani? Like, I can get behind Punani, right behind it, right? Like, that's a great one. Like yeah. even like what are like Yoni, you know, it's, it's 
it, it's it's a sexy word for it. Panani is kind of like a sexy word for it. Like vagina, does like it just doesn't vocally. In a, in a land of fancy French words, just for, for say, it's the one German word in the middle of the pile. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, ooh, yeah, and of course, like, that one doesn't French roll off the tongue took easy. It and they shortened it. And uh, made it <laughs> like that's, that's, that's and the, and there you go. Them making it better still. Yeah. Like they took the shitty situation so and still made it, it better. It works. But suffice to say, yeah. you know, it's not working talk because <laughs> dr orpheus it, hmm. he tries to like tiana's yeah. like look i'm doing you a favor yes yes mr vincent is kind enough to give me some leeway with the rent if i could get the boys as he says quote out of his hair for the evening but as you know tonight i teach conjuring at the new school tiana it's not a problem kim and i could use a free dinner we're getting introduced to kim and the doctor orpheus says well it's just that boys their age have unchecked desires coursing nay raging as a tempest would through their tingling nethers come on dad i'm going on a date with the venture brothers roll opening credits -na -na -na. We, are, we are an hour and a half into our discussion and we have just now gotten to the opening credits i feel like we are we crushed uh, Trial of the Monarch, because I was 50 minutes. I remember that. I feel very um, strongly <laughs> about Pirate Captain, okay? I, and you know what? If you'll notice, I set that up so that you could chop that entire block off, and I'm going to set it up so you can tack it on to the end. That's why I did what I did. Well, I figured that, but now I have to cut this part out. Nope, this part stays to make sure that everyone knows that what you're going to hear later on at the tail end of this episode is the argument that started our conversation and put us an hour and a half into the recording of this episode and just now getting to the opening credits. And the discussion, if I may venture to say, was both rivaled and unrivaled. I literally kept silent intentionally because I just wanted to listen to this <laughs> so everybody else, you'll get to enjoy it basically like I did. They they squared off and I was just like, <laughs> no, nope, it's, it's, this, uh, this is going to be good. This is why I show up. No, let them fight. <laughs> Beast, <laughs> you are truly a kaiju of critique. And so it is an honor to square off with you, sir. So, so unlike a, a unlike a Marvel thing where you just get a cool little tidbit in the uh, the end credit sequence, you guys are gonna get the full blown end action sequence as the tail end on this one. Uh, St stick around like after part after of the, show. the Thor movie at the end. Like, what was it? Age of Ultron, where they just stuck the Thor movie at the end? No, Guardians or Civil, Civil Guardians? Okay. So uh, it's kind of like that, where instead of getting one scene, you're getting the first third of the film. That's kind of what you're going to get at the end of this episode. So let's go ahead. And it's going to come back later. Yeah. Oh, because it teases what's going to happen He's way the, down yeah, the Yeah, that's right. We are setting up <laughs> nice, our very own, moves. <laughs> uh, very jankety Avengers team up. So 
Oh. We're, we're being put out by we're giving the weeding back here. <laughs> Phantom limbs pad. He's trying to sell a stolen Rembrandt, some Italian guy who clearly doesn't get it. The guy wants the Mona Lisa. What the why can't I get the Mona Lisa? Phantom limbs like, dude, the Mona Lisa is garbage. The only reason it's famous is because it was stolen. This painting is also stolen. Mona Lisa is tiny. Uh, and Dr. Girlfriend is kind of like checking it out. She's in her, her Queen Etheria outfit. She enters with wine glasses. The Italian guy takes one, but instead of drinking it, he's just looking at Dr. Girlfriend's breasts. She covers herself with a drink tray to kind of clue the Italian guy. She goes over, talk to Phantom Limb. She's not happy with Hamilton, is she? I mean, neither is Bond. <laughs> No, um, far from it. She, Phantom Limb's trying to explain. He's like, you know, not everybody's a trust fund like your insect ex boyfriend of yours. I think I'm going to go back on a diet of ramen noodles and spaghetti O's. And just his pronunciation of that. Uh, driving around in a Honda Accord with a ghost on the hood. Sorry, I have plans. And then he waves his invisible arms. Right? Oh, no, no. He's like, just, what are you doing? I'm wringing my hands menacingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah he's like well nobody can see that so she essentially is pressing him on his lack of evilness and phantom limb like she's she's giving him grief she's like you know like this is what you're doing this is how you're being evil like this guy's not even worth your time you would never have messed around with a guy like this and phantom limb is like fine that's not evil enough for you fine and he walks to the italian guy like shocks him to death the guy's bleeding all over Phantom Limb's rug. They argue some more, though neither's really paying attention to what the other's saying. Dr. Girlfriend storms off. And, like, meanwhile, Phantom Limb delivers, again, yet another line that makes me hate him. That seltzer's not going to get itself. I mean, to be fair, like, that rug really tied the room together. <laughs> right. And it's a Persian rug. <laughs> And being that there is no more Persian. I get it. it. So we're seeing that they have a very strange relationship, even when they're together, because Phantom Limb is a humorless dick. And, you know, like Queen Etheria is really Dr. Mrs. the Monarch, and she knows it. She just doesn't want to admit it yet. Um, Well, and uh, a couple of fun production notes. Uh, The the dumb gangster is played by uh, Urbaniac. So he's talking to himself, you know, one of those fun moments. Uh, and all the paintings featured are actually a few of them are stolen Rembrandts. One of them is a stolen Vermeer. Uh, like a lot of research, uh, Doc Hammer went into geeking out about that. Uh, so, fun fact about art theft every painting that's stolen is already paid for. And museums around the world are full of fakes. Now, they do everything in their power to stop a fake, including taking very detailed notes and pictures about what the canvas on the backside looks like, where they actually stretch the canvas and bit it around. There's paint always on the back of that behind the frame. So the average viewer doesn't get to see it. It never shows up in any of the pictures, but a really good art forger will figure this out and replicate that as well. Every painting that has ever been stolen has already been paid for. No one ever steals a painting to put it on the market. There's already a buyer who has bought it. It's already sold. They just need to collect it from the store. And by store, I mean museum. Potentially of prices antiquities. Well, uh, so 
of course, Doc Hammer is a uh, you know a painter on his own. Uh, probably knows a ton about art theft. That seems like a thing he's into. Like you know, if he's reading a spy novel, that's what he's reading. But like, uh, if you have a moment, go check out his series of painting the saints. And it's uh, as he describes it very accurately as a bunch of sad women in bras, like oil paintings of sad, like women looking sad in their bras. Um, and they're very well done. And as somebody who appreciates boobies, and I do, uh, I get why the, the bras, like how the, the light kind of, you know, you, you see it when you look at all the, the different paintings, but they're done Catholic style. So occasionally these women will have like halos and stuff like that. It's a neat series. And he does, he's got like over a hundred or maybe 200 of them. See, you've now made it very clear to me that I'm in the wrong line of work. I mean, I think we all are. Thank you for showing me the way. <laughs> I will now start my art career. I do paintings of women sitting on my face. I'm really into performance pieces. Yeah. It's really more POV art. Can I put this muscle so, on your foot? <laughs> it's a statement. So uh, the it, we're in the cocoon, and this is where we get to one of my favorite moments. It's a moment that I love so much that it is part of our intro, and that is 21 and 24 beatboxing until the monarch comes in, making them pretend to work. The monarch, John, 24, ready the monarch mobile. Your leader has a date. Uh, we don't have a monarch mobile anymore. Why the hell not? We ditched it. You know, the heat was on with us with that Venture Brother thing. So we thought, you know, now, uh, can you give us a little insight into the Venture Brother thing that they're referring to? Clearly, he's looking at you, Vaughn. Um, if my memory serves correctly, this is probably about when they still think the boys are dead in the no because they go after the boys but the boys mm, this could be one of those everyone thinks the boys are dead it's in that series of events where he won but they're now alive again clones well no uh clones create it's in that series of events <laughs> because timeline. uh he tells them um it's either in prison on his way to prison like from prison to, to destroy the cocoon and like you know, get rid of all the things, uh, but he's still doing time. Like I don't. So okay, the reason pimps wear chains is so they can pawn them, right? Like have have their their ladies pawn them and and get the bail to to you know go out and start you know doing their exploitation racket. I'd imagine that like supervillainy would have been the same way. It's like go sell the death ray. Get me out of jail, please. But no, this is like, trash it all. Kill the Monarch Mobile. No, no, mm, keep the Powder Blue stanza. That's Doug's. <laughs> yeah, the heat was on. The Venture Brothers saying the death of the Venture Brothers. Right? So, what are options? We can take my stanza. I'm sorry. We can take my Nissan stanza. 21, call Shotgun. Can we talk for a moment about the sheer brass balls of calling shotgun? Like, you're literally the only person who isn't the boss or the owner of the car. 
and you're calling shotgun and you know, you know, he's going to be like, uh, uh-uh, I called shotgun. It's like, you know what he is? If the monarch is Brock, 21 Look. is Hank or is Hank and 24 is Dean. Technically, they don't. They can't see the car, so you can't call shotgun until you can see the car. That's the rules. Yeah, but they're not super play by, play the not rules. Play like, by the rules. Then it's just anarchy. The sacred rules of so, shotgun. We swing, baby. <laughs> so the monarch. His, <laughs> I love his his question about the Nissan Stanza. Isn't a Nissan Stanza? Exclamation point question mark. It's what color is it? Is it diabolical or at least butterfly color? It's like it's powder blue, mostly. Great, 21, what do you drive? His powder blue stanza. It's so good, so good. So back at the Venture Compound, Doc has informed Brock that he's made a non-scientific discovery about a racy Dolly Parton film called The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Not to be confused with our own Dolly Parton. Yes. So Brock is trying to let Doc down gracefully. He's like, uh, Doc, you're going to be disappointed there. And Dr. V does not want to hear it. Don't ruin it for me. I've got the VCR set for stun. You want to watch it with me? Uh, no, I got to drive the boys to dinner. Oh, yeah. These kinds of films are, bit to, are meant to be watched solo a mano. Yeah, that's it, says Brock. And he leaves. This is where we get to one of my favorite scenes in the entire episode, and that is the four-way divided screen of four cars driving on the highway. Phantom Lim and Dr. Girlfriend, Triana and Kim, the Monarch and his henchmen, and Brock and the boys. Um, So I wanted to point out the types of music that we're playing in each car because this tells us so much about the occupants. The first one we look at is Kim and Triana, and they're listening to Shoegaze, right? So Kim wants to know if the Venture Brothers are cute. This is actually a little bit of a continuity error. This episode went into production before uh, the other episode, Assassin Annie 911, where Kim also is, right? So this was supposed to be the first time Kim meets the boys. So she asks, are the Venture Brothers cute? Triana says, well, Dean, he's kind of cute. He dresses like Buddy Holly. Kim's like, oh, that's pretty cool. Triana says, yeah, but if he does it accidentally? (laughs) Kim says, what about my date? Hank, yeah, he's blonde and more like (laughs) athletic. Kim says, sounds good. How does he dress? Like Fred from (laughs) Scooby-Doo. Right. Spot on. So from there, we bounce over to Henchman to the Monarch Mobile, <laughs> a.k.a. the Nissan, the powder blue Nissan Stanza, where the Monarch, Henchman 21, is going, yo, put in my mixtape. It's right on the dash. It's the one that says, chill with my peeps and my main man, the Monarch. Like, can I tell you, I completely identified with this as somebody who has been desperate for people to hear a mix I put together. Like, I felt this so hard. Oh, dude, uh, okay. I'm not even in the game anymore. I still make uh, playlists for fun that people like. I, I mean, you'll see it. People in the production group will see it. I'll post it like, and they're like, "Yeah, cool." Nope, zero shit. I love it. 
and I don't know what it is like. Listen, I put a lot of thought into taking these words and putting them in specific order that I thought was clever. Okay, and I need you to admire my cleverness in sending you a message telling you that you need to change the toilet paper roll more often. <laughs> What I've done is I've just put the bookshelf in the bathroom and I use the books on the shelf to spell out hate notes. <laughs> How many of my notes end with a tree growing in Brooklyn? <laughs> the important ones. So the monarch's like, we have to stop and pick up my date. 21's like, I thought Dr. Girlfriend was going to be there. <laughs> yeah, that dick, Phantom Limb. I plan to use a never-fail strategy of jealousy. Sue's your date. I met her on the live journal, which I kept in prison. I have been blogging. After posting an especially attractive picture of my prison sculpted abs, she commented that I was not only foin, but was sex, whatever that means. Then we bounce over to Brock, driving Dean and Hank. Dean wants to know if he's got any advice. By the way, they listen to rock music with a very Zeppelin flair. Rock says, yeah. He grabs a corsage Dean is holding. Dean is holding a corsage, and he throws it out the window. Dean says, don't, or Brock says, don't pull out her chair, kiss her hand, or anything like that. It's kind of dorky. Just be yourself. Wait, here. He pulls out his wallet, hands it to Dean. Take this. It's got plenty of money in there. It doesn't have a cartoon B on it. Don't let them pay for anything. And if you end up going to a movie or something, call me on the two-way, okay? Hank's like, what about me? Any advice to help me score with my mystery date? Brock says, yeah, don't say score or anything close to mystery date in front of her. And don't do that. Do you like seafood joke either? Hank's like, can do. Gosh, she would totally know that joke already. <laughs> what does this tell us about the boys? Uh, clearly, they, they, they've been stunted somewhere. Um, you say somewhere? I feel like everywhere. Like, uh, that's not wrong. Okay, so... Uh, in, in the southeastern quarter, uh, and I don't know how far the reach is, but like, you know, uh, is Chick-fil-A a thing out, out in Vegas? Okay, cool, cool, cool. So what's out there? It, it started in Georgia, right? It like it's a, it's a very, you know, southern thing. Um, I feel like, uh, the whole bit is, uh. Like, Hank and Dean can be best surmised as, like, the kind of homeschool kids that get jobs at Chick-fil-A. Because they, they appeal to the Christian sect very hard. They have, you know, hardcore family. They're closed on Sundays, which is, by the way, the, the day you fucking crave Chick-fil-A because you can't have it. <laughs> uh, but, like, yeah, no, it, it's... Um, they're, they're, you know the most severe version of like homeschool kids. These are like homeschool Jehovah Mormons with science. And Mennonites. Now with X by Mennonites. <laughs> with super science, yeah. Like so here's the thing. If you're going to be waited on by a woman in a long denim dress, it is going to be at Chick-fil-A. And she is going to be excellent. And she is going to double check your order. And if you say thank you, she's going to say my pleasure. Oh, absolutely. And that order will show up faster than you thought it would. Always. Every time. Like they do Chick-fil-A for all their anti-homosexual funding, for all their transphobia, 
for all of their like corporate donations to really suspicious causes, they do run a tidy ship. Uh, uh, no, I've talked to. Yeah, there's a few choir directors that work there. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I've, I've talked to a few trans uh, individuals and uh, a few gay individuals about uh, my, my paradoxical love of things. And I've been told it's okay to eat my hate sandwiches. Um, you know, I can pay penance elsewhere. The world of hinching may have changed, but progress still starts with small steps. From the conversations we have, not in the face, to the connections we make. Hey there, handsome. Is that a stick of dynamite in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see me? And the ideas we share. I think we need more pleather. It won't happen all at once. It's a bomb! But if we keep turning to those around us, and terrorizing them with well-placed arching, we'll find a way to move forward. Whether it's starting a new job, choosing a new career path. You know, I really thought I wanted to work in demolitions, but at the end of the day, I think villain outreach is really where I belong. Or making a difference with our unquestioning loyalty and premium health benefits. Because with our communities by our side, in order, numerically, and chronologically, there's no telling where our next small steps could lead. Hinched in, the future is POW. Mike. Dude, I had kind of an amazing moment today. I was talking with a friend of mine that I haven't spoken to in almost a year, right? A fellow industry professional. And uh, like got a really just phenomenal, like this person kind of came out to me with some of their personal struggle with their gender identity. And it was really like, I, I didn't really realize it at the time. Cause I was like, look, the fact that you're doing this takes incredible balls. Well, I didn't say balls, I said guts, right? Like just, it takes, it takes guts. Most people who have been in that situation have struggled with something their whole life. They are used to doubting themselves and the way they feel about the world. They're used to thinking that like, they're just used to that doubt. And the sheer strength of character that it takes to embrace this change and like, you know, just alter yourself to make yourself feel more like yourself in a way that you have never felt before takes genuine bravery and courage. And I told him, and I, cause I, I said, I, I'm sure you don't hear this enough. What you're doing is genuinely brave because you know, I, I don't think I said this, but we all know it's true. The world is in general against you living your life the way that you want to. And it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or says. The sheer, like, fortitude, courage that it took to do this should win you all the praise in the world. And so we got done talking. It was a great conversation. I and like you know we were kind of texting back and forth afterwards. So I went in. He, uh, she told me that you know she's going. To, you know she's going to be changing her name soon. And I went ahead and entered her new name into my phone. And like I was trying to 
like, uh, like I just, I sent her the screenshot of the changed name in my phone because when you're doing that, the validation that you are just fine as you are in whatever way you choose to be can make all the difference in the world. And I wholeheartedly appreciated that they felt comfortable having that conversation and revealing that struggle with me. Like, dude, this was, it was a huge thing. Like, I walked downstairs to like Dr. and Mrs. My Wife and like, it just was just ecstatic. I was like, you would not believe what my friend is doing. Like, and just was just so impressed. And then afterward, I got a little like, I realized for a moment that I had the fact that this person that I've only known in a professional capacity for like six, seven years felt comfortable enough to tell me this when they've only told like one or two other people in their lives, like period was just like, it just, it felt good that I was being the change I wanted to see in the world. Oh yeah, man. That's great. Way to make it about you. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes. The selfishness of altruism. No, but like, it just, Take it felt, it, it, it felt validating in my own way that like, you know what, if somebody was comfortable doing that, that means I'm living my life right. That's true, man. You're, you're pretty approachable. Um, I, I can, you know, say that. Uh, and, <laughs> and it's your ability to be vulnerable about the things you're wrong about, like pirate captain. <laughs> uh, a reference to something that doesn't happen for another two hours. Oh, this is like a Tarantino cut episode. Like, <laughs> all right, so let's go back to the beginning because you want to know why he got shot in the bathroom. Here we go. <laughs> right. Ah, uh, good times. So now we bounce over to Phantom Limb, and there is no music playing. It is dead silence. It is road noise. Phantom Limb just says, "You're awfully quiet." in a dickish, a humorlessly dickish way. And Dr. Girlfriend just looks at him. Phantom Limb says, what? Stop that, right? Uh, That's their entire, it, like, just everything. Oh, crap. We didn't talk about what it was about the boys. What is it about the boys that this scene is revealing? Well, I mean, they're again the the homeschool Chick Fil A thing. We we've covered all that. Okay, so the car thing. As a married person, and an individual in not necessarily, I don't think you know you need marriage, but like a a long term relationship. Uh, how many times have you had some version of that ride? Now, I mean, granted, I don't think it happens that often, but like. Uh. Dr. And Mrs. Savage and I, I can pretty confidently say we have never had this car ride because the one time, one time, and I think I, I'm going to, you're going to remember this exact incident, 2004. The one time I gave her an answer she did not like, she hopped out of the car and walked home like seven miles. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Do you remember that? We went looking for her. Yes. That was, a, that was the night she got robbed, yeah? 
No, she got robbed at the car wash. Yeah, right, right, right. And then chased the dude back to his place, called the police. And the police are like, sorry about you. <laughs> She's like, he's right there. Yeah, no. This is his house. Yeah, I mean, Wilmington PD. Like, what were you expecting? <laughs> uh, dude, my, uh, my grandpa was Wilmington PD. And I expected that they would do their job. Yeah, your grandpa retired. So, <laughs> and, and died. He died. He died. Oh, well. So we got that going for us. So uh, at any rate, I'm sorry, great grandpa. So the car ride, I, I, I've never had this car ride with my wife, but I have had this car ride in previous relationships. And that told me, like, there's something so true about this experience that just lets you know that that relationship is not where it needs to be. I've had this car ride with my, uh, my stepsister after my dad. So my stepsister uh, is nine years older than I am. My, my, you know, it's a, a joke that my my dad uh, likes to, you know, he would drop one about every decade, like a cool album. Uh, and I was the pickup. Like, he didn't feel like doing the hard work that, he, you know, I was like the, the perfect circle album. He kind of, you know, took a little bit of a backseat on that creative. Um, <laughs> so uh, he, he passes away and my sister's coming in town. And this is the first time we've gotten a, like all the family gathered. And more importantly, this, this is the first time they've ever, ever gathered at our home. Like, once he moved to North Carolina, he was kind of like pariah, like, you guys are out. Uh, and so, you know, me and my sister, uh, like, everybody's in town, me and my sister, like, all right, like, uh, you know, it's been a while since we kept, you know, caught up, let's go. And she just keeps getting, like, emotional, like, really emotional. I get it, dad's dead. But, like, this kind of, uh, I don't know, very, um, my so-called life, 30-something, 90s drama version of, like, how can I make all of this about me? And I'm like, well... That is so Irish. Right. <laughs> well, and the thing is, uh, I've we've got a brother who's nine years younger than, than myself, Deep Diver, right? So he's 18 years younger than her. Uh, she's got her, her dad issues because, you know, he, he bounced on her when, you know, he was little and all that. But uh, I totally like made the statement like something of the sort where it's like you know listen uh we've got a you know spencer's still in you know high school like he's kind of the focus you know just do me a favor and, and don't you know be overly dramatic and try to make your you know make it center on you which looking back at it was like the worst thing i could have said it might have been as well like you know hey i want to need you to go get like really pissed off like right now <laughs> uh and it was that same kind of like weird tense like she just glared at me and i'm like what no no you know you do just fine <laughs> the reason i say that that is so irish is because the irish are are very unique in some of their cultural priorities specifically that suffering has an enhanced cult, like social value in the Irish community, at least here in the U.S. I don't know how it is in Ireland, but like I feel like 
the Irish suffer so for your sins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Vaughn, as a, as an Englishman, do you have any insight? Because I know you guys have a long history with the Irish. Well, they have the same car problem, but they're just sitting on the opposite sides. So she glares <laughs> at him from the other side of the car. Yeah. Now, Vaughn, how about you? Have you had this? Um, that was so no, California. You. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, been through. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Could go either way. Means we'll yes. Both sides of the story. No, yeah, no. Means no. And no, yeah, yeah, no. No. Means hell no. <laughs> Dead ass. <laughs> Um, no, the, the horrible car conversation, the person walking home. Yeah. I've been there, covered it all. Uh, you, you can make it work sometimes maybe afterwards, but it's usually a day. Now I, I have to say my relationship, relationship with, uh, Dr. Mrs. My wife is very different than every other relationship I've ever had. She and I do not really argue to date. Our second biggest argument is about comma usage. And I, I am quite firm that she is wrong about this. And she is quite certain that I am wrong in my perspective. Okay. Uh, so we, we don't get into arguments, but I know that that is unusual for most couples. And I'm curious if your experience of this has meant, has left you sitting in the car fuming because you know you're going to be wrong no matter what you do. <laughs> or if this is something that you have not experienced with your wife, because the relationships with which you were having these kinds of car rides are relationships that you subsequently abandoned. Hashtag humble brag. Um, the biggest thing honestly to get out of it at this point and, and how I probably have avoided it for the last probably close to a decade at this point is our banter back and forth is really good uh, to the point of something that is sort of bubbling into a heated conversation. We can kind of just subdue it by making it sort of a joke, um, which I think is sort of a good way to have heated moments sort of like this, but, you know, address an issue but then, you know, we're going we're, we're gonna to segue out of this nicely. You know what that we're, is? We're all Just to nice, put that quite the, simply, the what you're in. describing is um, respect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a light fencing. It's just to know I, I, I have the, the ability, you like, have the ability, but move. let's just play nice today. Let's move no along nicely. No one's trying to hurt, yeah. but we do need to address this, yes. but, and yes. we can address it respectfully and in a fun manner. That fits. I'm calling shenanigans my, because idiot. this motherfucker yeah. over here threw out like, "Oh, we're the weeding cut." Like, yeah. no, this man goes for blood, and we're just friends. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying, man. I fence all day long, so when I want to make that killing stab, it's just right there. That's definitely one thing I need to get better at. <laughs> I am not very good at hurting people on purpose. I only hurt them by accident. 
No, no, no. Don't vote. Don't let this dude. I get to do a lot of side shit talking about people. This is part of the ruse here. See, this is this is the veneer. (laughs) This man survived frat life in the upper Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Here's the thing. I didn't do it by being an asshole. Uh, I. You know who I was? Language is kind of richer. On Survivor, I was Richard. Isn't that the guy who like just played the game and wasn't an asshole? No, no, Richard was totally an asshole. Uh, No, you're the 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 Topher Grace on on Predator. Like (laughs) you're the insidious one. No, no, no! I don't want to be Topher Grace on Predator. You're the the sleeper. I want to be. I want to be Uncle Iroh. You. uh, and granted, it's been a while, but our 20s, and granted, you're five years older than I am, but like the way uh, it was described, your friendship in our circle of friends in Raleigh for a long time was like, everybody's just pledging your frat. <laughs> like the, the subtle art of giving shit a la like Savage it is really the, is an incredible thing here. So while you're you're more good at like uh, kung fu martial arts, like you, you want to give a good like bruising, you know, maybe maybe a good dislocation. You're you're not out to like. I'm not out for blood. I'm never out for blood. Not to say you can't because you have, but again, it's always been on like accident. One of the things that has like recently, and it's been over a year now. Uh, we're talking about something, and we're just kind of cruising in his in his car, and he looks over, and he's like, yeah, you know, you don't strike me as the kind of guy who, uh, you know, just does stuff to see if he can do it. And he didn't mean anything by it. I was like, ow, fuck. Well, shit, let me reexamine my life real quick. <laughs> like, you don't mean to do it, so you, like, earthquake people's entire fucking existence. I truly was not trying to hurt your feelings, and I it apologize. didn't hurt my feelings. It made me like I was like, "Oh shit, I don't." Do that thing. I, I truly wasn't trying to hurt a beast. I'm sorry. You know, I value you. Thank you. After a year, almost two, three years at this point, for finally bringing this up and allowing me the opportunity to apologize. Now, if we're going to go ahead and air out some laundry here, the meanest thing you have ever said to me. <laughs> oh I'm surprised. I'm surprised we're friends based on the way you smell. (laughs) I can tell you the context of the situation. (laughs) Do you remember Om Night? Yeah. (laughs) Do you know what she said to me? You, I can still smell your friend on you, and that's not a good thing. Oh, you had a period of time where you were going through some things. Yeah, I was listening to a lot of punk music. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, So, uh, uh, let me back up real quick. Uh, this is a story I think we've told before, but uh, we go downtown, we're sat outside the soapbox. This girl walks out. I look at her neck. I'm like, oh, is that a gnome? 
she rushes up and starts making out with me. I take her home. I drop, I drop you off beast. I take her home and uh, we go back to my place and we hang out. Come to find out it was her wedding day. Right. When I dropped her off at her house. And that was one of the things that uh, she said. So I truly apologize for hurting your feelings. That was not, I am not, I'm so subtle in so many other ways. And believe me when I tell you that if I wanted to hurt your feelings, here are the things I would say to you first. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the thing, man. Like, uh, and, and that's all. I, I, I apologize. And thank you. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to, no, wait. Allow me to tell you what you have told me. Oh, yeah. I've said some awful <laughs> shit. I am, okay. I, I'm the worst. <laughs> Anybody will tell you, like, my attempt to be a good person has before, failed. Before before you get into that, the best apology I have ever gotten from him was when he called to apologize. He's like, now, just so you know, I'm not apologizing for you. I'm apologizing for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not doing this because to make you feel better. I'm doing this to make me feel better. Well, yeah, no, I learned from you. How do you... And it was true. How do you centralize things? Like, how do you take a great moment and make it about you? You do this. <laughs> I'm telling you I'm sorry, but I'm the one benefiting from it. So you're welcome. Yeah. The, uh, what, what is it? The selfishness of altruism, per our earlier comment. <laughs> but with all of that being said, uh, Beast, what are the things that you excel at more than most? And it's one of the things, Vod, you're really good at this too. Like you're, you're really a natural comedian. It's that like you have such an extensive knowledge of pop culture that is just sitting at the brain equivalent of your fingertips. And you are like a truffle hunter of merciless analogy. I love a good simile. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. As you know. <laughs> like, as. So, thought. I'm going to well, no, a lot uh, of sitting back. You have to tell us what kind of a terrible person this you really are. <laughs> Oh, I'm an upfront terrible person. Like, it, if you just catch me in the right moment, I will tell you exactly what I think of you. I do go for the jugular, and I can't help but just find that spot on people. Um, but then again, I'm not much action, and I'm, I'm really helpful <laughs> yeah, usually. So dick. it's kind of like a counterbalance of like you kind of have I'm to put a up dick, with an but asshole. But I'm really reliable really when you need you to move hand. your apartment. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to move your apartment, but I'm going to let you know exactly what I think about That's your refrigerator yeah. magnets, about your personality. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, they're awful. I, I, we no, get you, it. We get it. You love it. Like, you know, <laughs> Jamaican, you crazy? <laughs> Fucking Jamaican, me crazy. Dude, so Dr. Mrs. The Monarch, or sorry, Dr. Mrs. My Wife got me an amazing car magnet. I'm sorry, it's a refrigerator. It's an ingredients list, like on a box of food, right? 
and it's the Bible bullshit, 99% original bullshit, like 60%, like 30% borrowed bullshit, 66%, like, you know, no, and it just, this, it, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Number of people killed by Satan, like uh, 312, number of people killed by God, millions. (laughs) Like, it's so good. It's so good. It sounds very good, Omens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My my. If we're <laughs> if we're gonna go down the cool stuff on the uh, the refrigerators, I've got a um, fake parking ticket from an old boss of mine. Uh, I was right. I lived right around the corner. I was riding my bike to work, and uh, she just stuck this fake sticker or fake uh, note on it, and uh, under vehicle description, it said "bicycle" because you're too fucking dumb to drive a car. And that was just, it's got a few other things on there, but that was the one highlight. And I think it's been like six years, it's like five or six years since I got that still sitting on the fridge. Got to have something, something funny to read over and over again on the fridge. It's definitely uh, the must go to lose the, the, no, I got to tell you, I, I started doing uh, magnets when we travel that. places because it was all I could afford. Like that's like, it was, and I, I knew that when I put it somewhere, yeah, it's like, and it becomes a kitschy running thing. You can't help it. It's all of a sudden you just end up amassing them. You don't even know. Like you're like, I know I went on vacation, but how the how fuck do we I have twelve magnets from fucking collectible? <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're never going. I afford coffee gonna... mugs. Yes. Yeah. They yeah. are yes. But a coffee mug doesn't travel as well. No, that's why. that's why i do get it from that's why i do commemorative hubcaps (laughs) well no i mean like okay uh so my mom's on the road a lot uh with with her husband and uh like i've got a coffee mug from seattle now that coffee mug had to make it safely with uh two of the most irresponsible people and yes one of them is my mother (laughs) uh like they, they just they don't take care of things very well they don't have a lot of forethought i can't tell you how many times like like we've gotten a call with like well it's happened again like we didn't secure shit so you know it's all over the camper you know we had to replace the computer monitor and this that the other like yeah no i mean that happens not infrequently so the fact that these like porcelain grails come to me (laughs) from like all over the country (laughs) and stay intact uh no, it's the impermanence of things, man. Like that's what gives them value. What is it? The what is it? The vision said a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. Oh man, we can't go down Wandavision. We're still talking about another. Show. Can we? Uh, can I just say yep. that grief? What is grief? Except for love persisting. What a phenomenal, phenomenal! No, that's the statement that- of a man who never read a Peanuts comic. <laughs> <laughs> that man is the Charlie Brown of the MCU. I mean, in a sense, like he, he's he's a little bit more on the Fred Rogers end of that. Like uh, he, he's figuring it all out. But I feel like again, this whole idea of like grief and and all that, like it's beautiful. But I want to see the vision being a little bit more mundane, and that's just not an option right now. Uh, that is all Wandavision has been. Until they, until he has his floaty moment. I mean, kinda. He's doing some investigating stuff. 
He's still doing yeah, like, like visiony shit. No, I don't want to see like any visiony stuff unless it's like you know, again like really hard counting the the the, the minutia of of things like. You know, I want to have watch him have a colloquial version of grief, like oh, good grief, and by his definition of grief, like you know, oh, good persistent of love. No, like I want to see him get like annoyed. Stump your fucking toe, invincible man. Have you? Uh, How do you stump your toe when you can face through shit? This is going to be so obviously. You know that uh, in the the savage household we've had some uh, we've had some pretty serious traumas over the years and uh they they mostly happen to like you know like the we we had the little boy across the street who got hit in front of our house and like you know these this is something that that dr mrs my wife has taken extraordinarily hard and still struggles with like trauma trauma is a real thing and we were watching this episode and when he delivered that line, she just burst into tears. Like, and it felt like it is hard to reach someone in a bad place and offer that little glimmer of balance. And it was amazing to me that it happened in a comic book TV show. No, I mean, like that is quality writing exactly the kind of quality writing we expect from a show like the Venture Brothers, which is why we are making our way back to this date. By the way, he is available around the holidays to wrap anything up that you need. (laughs) (laughs) You you need it tied up with a bow on it, bam. You need two wheels side by side because I'm going to segue the hell out of this. So we've got at the restaurant... Hank is trying to tell Dean what to say about him, including calling him the Hankinator. Uh, Triana and Kim show up. Dean freaks out. They're here. Dude, sit down. We have to play it cool. Observe how I scope out my mystery date whilst I pretend to look at my watch. Holy moly, look at my date. She's a supervillain. Kim is smoking hot. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like, Kim is the kind of girl that would have shown up at the rave in the first Matrix movie. Right. Okay, so uh, apparently one of the things that's missing here, and it's in the, the special features, is a scene where you find out how uh, Triana actually thinks Kim dresses pretty dumb. Like, it's a little much. And I'll agree. I mean, like, the Power Woman window of cleavage uh, on what is supposed to be, like, a, a high school chick. Uh, at the time it came out, it made sense to me, because, again... That's a little bit closer to where I was in life, but I don't know. As a dad, I'm like, hmm. I don't know, young lady. (laughs) These are the, like, she's dressed like girls I knew from back in the day. Oh, yeah. Like, when you go to raves, like, dude, she is dressed like a girl who once told me, well, never mind. Suffice to say, she is dressed like people I have known. Well, and, and it's very specifically 90s rave. Because uh, I mean, kind of getting exposed to like the, the it's, it's hot topic. Well, that's the thing is like uh, I guess 2010, like yeah. right around that time, like the 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 we'll call it post rave because if we call it rave culture, you're going to give me this whole like diatribe about how th- those aren't really raves. Like I get it, okay. So this whole post rave thing where uh, girls are wearing bikinis and like these like fuzzy, like, tremendously fuzzy uh, 
like you know essentially dubstep candy kids bingo um like it's a whole different like class like uh she looks like she's a little bit more like that whole outfit is more leather bondage bustier uh lords of acid type stuff it's more goth it's more goth influenced early rave was you know the way early rave was goth influenced bingo or, or did I get that right? I'm so sorry. This is the kind of girl who, when she dances, is dancing and like she's thinking, see me, see <laughs> me. I can't picture her dancing with it's, a guy. It's a solo. Thing. Like, it's, it's a that, solo. It's a Unless solo she really likes 100%. that dude, and then it's with another chick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I got a fun, never mind. So we are at the restaurant. They've come in. But we've uh, got appetizers. Hank is like looking at Kim and thinking she would have totally dug my Batman suit. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, that's, he says Batman. Oh. Yep, he is not yeah, always yeah. the bat. Well, so, it's Batman's suit. Turns out he puts the monarchs it on, at the table the nearby, bat. and he tells his henchmen to sit somewhere else and pretend like they don't know him. And I love that they're like, "Dude, we're in giant butterfly. We're in matching butterfly costumes. Like people are, are gonna think that we don't know each other. Like, okay." So the monarch sighs. He rolls over. Jolly Rancher eighty-two. Never get henchmen now. Vod, using your skills for uh, painting a picture. Can you describe his date? Trailer, no, no, no. Truck stop, whore 15 years before she gets there. She's like, still pretty okay, younger. She's not completely like a methed out trash bag yet, but she's on her way. Yeah. She like, can match her eyeshadow with her, uh, with her uh, <laughs> bustier dress. See, she, she can still see clearly, so she clearly is. Well, I mean, like, and she's totally know, going after like far down the line, but she's she's dressed prison better. like you know costume villains on on Live Journal. Like, yeah, no, this is one of those like she she's not writing unironic letters to Ted Bundy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so. There is a, uh, I used to, one of my jobs when I was trying to, you know, earn money to go to college. So I was a junior in high school and I'm, I'm a cart wrangler at Sam's Club. And I'm working with a guy who's several years older than me. And uh, he's describing this phenomenon he's very familiar with called lot lizards at the truck stops. And it's the, it, it was the first one I'd ever heard lot lizards. This one right here is like what what's that batman the killing joke thing one bad day away <laughs> everybody like yeah no the, the whole central thesis is like everybody's one bad day from one or the other uh this is dermot's grandma waiting to happen and yes. they 
<laughs> modeled her incredibly well. Jolly Rancher 82. Well, okay. So she says, you know, that's not my real name. Monarch's like, how was I supposed to know? I use my real name. Here's some like, I thought, you know, the monarch. I thought you were into cosplay. Real name, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the costumed business, not costume play. And that's when Phantom Lamb and Dr. Girlfriend arrived. Jolly Rancher 82 comments this year, Dr. Girlfriend was kind of manly which the Monarch is not thrilled to hear. He goes out to explain how Phantom Limb uh, became Phantom Limb. He was roommates with Billy Quizboy in college and it took come cool. He had Billy create a machine that speeds up muscle growth. It malfunctions, spent the molecules in his arms and legs, past the speed of light with two other side effects. He can mess up a guy just by touching him and he became a humorless dick. <laughs> um, so the henchmen, they see Phantom Limb, and 24 inquires as to how he floats. 31 tells him another origin story. It's because his legs are invisible, which happened back when he used to be a good guy. He and Billy, who won a lot of money on card sharks, invented a time machine that malfunctioned, sending Phantom Limb's arms and legs and Billy's hand 40 years into the future. That's when Kim notices Phantom Limb. Hank tells her that he, like, I love the way that he's like, yeah, my dad's famous, but he's like, that dude totally hates our dad. And he goes on to say that he used to be a famous musician. And at one time, while performing for the Queen of England, he accidentally made his arms and legs disappear. And now they're on the moon with a bunch of rabbits and doves and playing cards and pretty assistants and some milk. <laughs> right? Oh, and operated on Dean's balls which is not what Dean wants to hear when he's trying to impress his date and his lady love. Um, so, oh, and he ate it. Hank mentions that it was the hand of the guy that operated, I'm sorry, he cut off a kid's hand and he ate it. Dean mentions the hand of a guy that operated on Dean's balls. Um, and after an odd and very short conversation, Hank and Dean head off to the bathroom where they will spend the rest of the episode. All right. Well, and you Phantom get some Lynn, of the most Hank and Dean. I was actually like yeah. dropping this episode on my kids today for a whole separate thing. Uh, my my oldest is old enough to have discovered uh, Fortnite and and of the sort now. So he's doing the little dances. He's doing like whatever, but specifically he's doing like the the one like kind of pose motion. He's dabbing and he's running around and he's like. Dad, Dad, can you dab? I'm like, stop saying dab. <laughs> Wait, we're not there yet. Don't spoil it. Um, this exchange is their relationship in a pardon the pun nutshell. <laughs> so it is entirely your brother's prerogative to bring up the stuff you don't want your date to know. And part of the reason that it's happening is because if they make it through that, they're keepers. If you can survive the awkwardness and the ribbing and the whatever, and you're still okay with it, they're good for you. It is in many ways an emotional defense mechanism. Well, yes and no. Like, let's be honest. That's a byproduct. That's an incidental. Like... Uh, I don't think that, like, you know, and, and having been on both sides of that, like, nah, sometimes I'm just giving my brother shit because he's my brother and that's what you do. You said something very beautiful to me one time. 
He's like, you know, the the whole thing about the world is like, you know, you need to lift your family up because the, it's the rest of the world that's going to tear them down. And I was like, yeah, that's beautiful. But what about siblings? <laughs> um, no, I mean, you know, I, I, you were not born into my life, but I got to as quickly as I could. <laughs> So this is where we get to the title of the episode. Phantom Limb is going over guild insurance policies with the Monarch. The Monarch is looking to join the guild, all right? And Phantom Limb, as the head of the guild, is there to run through the particulars and get them signed up. The Monarch comments that he wants a policy that will let him take down the ventures, which leads to insults, followed by the Monarch challenging Phantom Limb to take down the ventures himself, seeing as how they're so indestructible. Phantom Limb accepts and makes a call to the guild. Watch and Ward answer. And the monarch said, sorry, and Phantom Limb says, Victor, Echo, November 79. I think 1979 is the year the boys were born. If we. It's not just the boys, though. Because. No, it's not, it's not just the boys. I th the reason I think 79 is that the, is the year the boys were born is that it would put them in exactly the right like influence age range for their behaviors to make sense. They would have been kids when those Batman masks were out. They would have been they would have seen all the 70s stuff that was still on TV because cable didn't exist like that yet. Yeah, the cultural references were particular but limited. You well, you gotta you gotta think they, they very much experience life like uh, the Marvel blip. Yeah, you know, in in that way, right? Like uh, they they keep kind of at some point getting reset to you know. We know that there's like five six years where we're just like you know back to one, back to one, back to one. Well, and and if we take this at face value. This episode's happening in roughly 2005, right? That means the boys would be 26 if they made it all the way through. But the boys are still, what, 16, 17? No, here's the problem with that, though. Venture would have been 19. Venture was born in six. No, Vitch was born in the 50s. No, we, we, oh, mm, we have this on record. We went down the path, and I'm pretty sure we can, we can. I can't oh, hear you, uh, We can do a quick cursory Google search, but I am pretty sure Dr. Thaddeus Venture. Because he was in college late in 86. He was in his mid-20s. In college in '86, April 30th, he would have been 1960. Bam. Okay, so yeah, 79, 19. Yeah, that's right. That couldn't happen. So the boys would have had to have been born after he graduated college in '86. So that would put the boys being born in '87. I've always figured the boys had to have been born roughly when I was. I was born in '88. My math so that means that they were in 1998, they would have been age. 10, and in 2004, they would have been 16, 
but they've had multiple deaths since then. They had to have been born and like in order for them to like, cause they comment that the years are wrong when they get their licenses, which means it's at least one year off. So they had to have been born in 86 and then go one year before that, which would put Doc at like 25. Yeah, I think we're we're actually kind of coming up on a on a clear maybe continuity error that way because uh, we know that the boys didn't happen until after the death of Doctor Venture, like proper Doctor Venture. And that was in what year? That was in eighty eight, eighty nine, wasn't it? No, that that was when he was in college. That's uh, Sharky's machine was uh, so it had to be eighty six or eighty seven. Yeah. We worked all this math out yeah. like five months ago, and I can't remember any of it. Like, we, we even worked out what year, like, granddad was born and great granddad. Josiah Uriah homunculus venture. Yeah, because I remember what we had to do was we actually, uh, the milliner died in 87. Uh, because we actually did it backwards from the release of Sharky's Machine. Yeah, well, and we did it from we did it from Sharky's Machine and the Bauhaus album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how we did. It. Yeah, that's when how we try angles of of Western civilization. Burt Reynolds and Bauhaus. You know, it was in the commentary for this one. I think um, Urbaniak was making a comment about a little detail point somewhere along the way, and they were like, oh, you know, we like to call those me-tails. And I was like, that's fucking great. And the fact that you, you've got to use something like Sharky's machine, and yeah, they just, they, they clearly like to just drop all of their favorite little things where they're just like, we don't really necessarily care if this peaks anybody. You know, I wonder how much of time. all of it was just cobbled <laughs> together in order, like they just, there was no plan per se. Like, do you really think they've got someone focused on continuity with some of their references? Because they are so focused on continuity in other places. Right. Like in one interview, they're like, if somebody puts a hole in a wall, that wall stays there until we see it getting fixed or that that hole stays there until we see it getting fixed. They're actually really, really tight about a lot of continuity. The question is, can we take everything at face value or do you think some things might have slipped through? Well, I mean, because I'm inclined to lean toward continuity. They have been so detail oriented in so many other things. I feel like. We could, uh, like, you know, uh, uh, it was a good day by Ice Cube. Well, you take all those elements and arrive at one date. Yeah, somebody, like, I remember somebody sat down and did that. Now, um, yeah, like, okay, so we can we can reconstruct some things here. So uh, the, the date here is April 9th, 1987. Um, so what that says to me is... Uh, this is clearly uh, Thaddeus Venture doing a little bit of grief banging because his birthday is actually uh, about 21 days, about three weeks after this. 
and his dad died. You know what I mean? It's all in that that realm, and that has to be the window where the boys exist. How is Dermot older or younger? Dermot would that the Dermot age thing that's always kind of gotten me messed up because Dermot's age does not match up for if he banged Dermot's mom a, uh, as a Groovy fan a way back puzzle. in the day when he was still living still at the compound. Well, not so 15, let's Dermot say would be that like happened 15 like years older than the boys or something. when he was like, still in college. Right? That would mean Dermot would be the older brother. Well, and bear in mind, there's also maybe a, a whole puzzle piece out of this that we're never going to get now. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You know, or, or like Twist, the boys never had a mom. Dermot's a clone too. Yeah, yeah. The boys well, are just was, like genetic variants of, of Rusty. I am inclined to believe that. Like, and just I feel like that is a naturally more uh, believable state of play because the situation with him, you know, having Dermot was so bad for him because it took the focus off of him whereas if he just has clones then the focus can continue to be on him and he doesn't have to worry about uh somebody else getting in the way of his selfishness so i've just you killed me at the beginning of the, the episode with this um thing about hank and dean and the cloning and if one was actually a real kid and the other. So what if Hank just reminds him of their mom and to like dilute the situation? He's like, let's just oh. make a clone of myself, add so it into the mix. They'll bounce off each other. Like what if that's why Hank and looks the way Hank Doc does is because mom, looked to like mom was a hot blonde or something. And that why, yeah. Yeah. He reminds I, I would assume him of that the whoever dead Hank's mom. mom is left Doc if, because she's not in like she was stupid enough to sleep with him. What was it that uh, that one girl said about our friend John? I would have had more fun by myself. <laughs> Somebody just spat out their drink. Okay. Oh, oh good. Kim. That was the oh, her name was of, Kim too. Oh, nice. Yes, no, she was ah, she was very easy on the eyes. Great personality, funny, zero clue what she was doing with that guy. And then she comes to us with that later, and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> this was very much a, a failure situation. Um, well, and, and not to get too far ahead in, in, like, the boys' development, because I know we're going to cover a lot of it. But, like, uh, there's a big moment later on where, you know, Venture kind of lays it out. In terms of like Hank, you know, uh, Hank is like the, the the Zen of boy adventurers. He's not suffering. He's in it 110 percent. Like this is just, you know, was the the one uh, was a Bloodhound Game lyric. Uh, he he's living life at like you know Panty Hill Freakout speed. Like that's just what he does, <laughs> right? <laughs> Dean, on the other hand, is, is the human equivalent of a chihuahua. Like 
like too many loud noises, he's going to like wet the floor. Like, you know, you can't startle him. Um, and granted, he gets over that like later on. But like, you know, Dean is very much the the kid who lives in fear. <laughs> you know, he's not the kid jumping off the roof, being dressed up as the most fearless man he can think of with a goddamn umbrella. You know, that that's not Dean. So I, I think that that relationship, uh, you know, is actually like Doc's explanation for that is a pretty genuine thing. Like it, it's, uh, was it in Buddhism? They call it skillful means, right? No, I'm not saying he's a, a, a skillful means parent, but like Hank is a little bit more hands-off, but like you've got a helicopter parent, Dean. I get that. I get that. Uh, well, he's going to need all that parenting. He's going to need all the help he can get. Because with that Victor Echo November 79, humorless Dick Hamilton Phantomos, a.k.a. Phantom Limb, has called in a blackout team to murder the Venture family. And within the hour, the entire Venture family will be dead, cut to commercial which tells me right now is a fantastic opportunity for us to cut to commercial. Wait, and we were overthinking it. 79, that's the year he's come becomes eligible for to be arched because he's no longer a minor. He, and I'm sure that they have like a, like an insurance clause, where like, you know, you can stay on your dad's insurance, you know, but uh, his dad didn't stick around that long. <laughs> that's pretty good. Beast. I'm I, I'm inclined to buy that. I I feel like this has just become headcanon. Like, yeah, I think that's just arch eligibility. Which would put Rusty's birthday in 1961. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, maybe there was like a, a clause, like, you know, you could go all the way through 18. Or maybe if you're in college, you can, you know, still be under your parents arching. You know, right? <laughs> but like, uh, again, you know, his dad died not too terribly long because uh, dad died in 87. Um, I mean, that's almost a decade. Yeah. That's eight years. So let's ponder eight years with a quick word from our sponsor. All right, guys, can we take five? Yep. Pause. Yep. At the end and, and bring it back um, to the next week. Sounds good. Other it's options. almost midnight. Like, let's. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. I was looking at the clock. I'm like, so it's basically let, nine. Let's go ahead and, yeah, uh, you guys are fucking late as shit there. What a spectacular commercial that was. I feel like I am going to buy all the goods, products, and services from whatever it was that we just heard. And now, let's return to our regularly scheduled commercial. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, this is a two-part episode. We will be wrapping up the remainder of this discussion in what is bound to be our longest episode ever, a full four and a half hours to discuss the final 12 minutes of a cartoon. Yeah, we're going full Snyder Cut on this one, people. <laughs> So, you know who else is going full Snyder Cut? What our listeners are about to hear is the initial conversation that Beast and I 
had in front of Vaughn about the pirate captain. And for anyone who is a fan of the pirate captain, I want to apologize on Beast's behalf for not representing you well enough. For those of you who are not fans of the pirate captain, you will find my arguments quite convincing. And for those for those who love the pirate, the pirate captain, captain uh, prepare to be persuaded by the merits of uh, my beard alone. <laughs> uh, actually, let me go ahead and preface this discussion by saying that by the end, Beast has gained more than he lost. Unlike Thanos. Yeah, that's because I ate a whole bunch of cookie dough while we were talking about it. <laughs> it's sport cookie dough. So, ladies and gentlemen, join us next week for the conclusion of this amazing impromptu two-part episode. <laughs> uh, we're doing a house of mummies. Putting the end. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, this is uh, this is actually part two. Part three is going to be a complete, a complete miasma of of insanity. You're at so, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for joining us. I am one of your hosts, Inimitable. Oh, wait. I already covered this at the end because I covered it at the beginning. I don't have to do this. All right. Yeah, boy. All right. Roll that tape. We've been covering a lot of topics, and I think right now is a great time to take a break and maybe end this episode. Good game, guys. Good game. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, we will see you next time on an exciting episode of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast. I am your host, the inimitable Professor Brock Savage. With me, as always, is my longtime companda, a man I stole from David Bowie himself, Baron Beast-Lamode. And as always, we are joined by our resident denizen of dinner theater, a man who needs his own stunt to help his confusingly large villainy appear less imposing. To the uninitiated, the Vaude villain. And next week, we are going to be covering a episode, Venture Brothers as the Venture Brothers block of Conjectural Technologies, a Venture Industries podcast about the Venture Brothers, starring the Venture Brothers. And I'll tell you what that is shortly, because I don't know yet. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night. Conjectural Technologies Podcast is hosted, produced, and researched by me, Beast Mode, Professor Brock Savage, and Vaude Villain. Edited by Beast Mode and Vaude Villain. Intro music produced by Professor Brock Savage. Email us at conjecturaltechpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at conjecttech underscore pot and go team venture.